Welcome to Tuesday Talks, a live discussion series where we shed light and bring truth to emerging topics in the communications industry. I'm Rebecca Johnson, founder and CEO of Numerical, and I'll be co-hosting today's session with Ed Etikoff, VP of Professional Services and Legal Counsel at Comsol. Ed's back with us today to pick up where we left off in our previous session. I really appreciate you joining us for a round two, Ed. So let's recap a little bit from our last session. We introduced the challenges and the considerations around the Canadian deployment of Stir Shaken. We talked about the lay of the land, the governance, and the deadlines. This week, we are going to focus more on really the real-world cross-border challenges today for gateway service providers and explore how number reputation fits in. So speaking of gateway providers, I wanted to bring to your attention what we're busy down here in the U.S. doing is the FCC put out a further notice of proposed rulemaking. Now, there are a few key points in here that um, I think are of interest to you, Ed. Uh, One of them is to propose um, a requirement for gateway providers to apply stir-shaken caller ID authentication to and perform robocall mitigation on foreign originated calls with U.S. numbers, which I think that's kind of a common thing that we would see between the U.S. and Canada. So, you know, the FCC is requesting comment on that first line there. Also, with regards to the efficacy of the robocall mitigation database moving forward. And we talked a little bit about this, and we've definitely covered this topic uh, uh, on previous Tuesday talks. So if the FCC is seeking comments on this with regards to robocall mitigation and also on the gateway provider, first I want to ask you if there's an equivalent of the robocall mitigation plan requirement in Canada that similarly touches on this gateway provider expectation. Um, well, the short answer is no, there's, there's no equivalent robocall mitigation database uh, and there's no mitigation plan requirements in, in Canada. And, and I guess I can go one step further, and that is that, you know, if your mitigation plan uh, involves participation in, uh, in traceback to, to get at the, at the root causes of, uh, of the nuisance calling, um, in Canada, um, the, the traceback assistance rules are, are pretty much in their infancy. Uh, in a commission decision um, in 2018, 2018-32, the commission stated that a standard industry-wide call traceback process is needed in order to determine the origin of nuisance calls. Uh, the commission considered that such a process would enable corrective action to be taken at or close to the source of such calls, thereby reducing their volume and further protecting the privacy of Canadians. However, the, le- the regulator left it up to the Canadian industry uh, to develop the traceback processes. And the industry got together, had a bunch of meetings, and submitted a report to the commission. And the commission looked at the report in, in a recent decision, um, 2021-268, uh, released on August 5th of this year. And, and the commission stated that it considers that it would be preferable to wait until there was an onboarding process developed to facilitate it, uh, the uh, the joining of as many TSPs as possible into this call traceback environment. Um, so uh, the bottom line is um, that the commission did not mandate carriers participate in call traceback or or 
offer traceback assistance, uh, the Commission will, will look at mandating that as a, at a later date uh, once the industry group gets together and suggests a way to, uh, to onboard and streamline uh, call traceback processes. So, th- I mean, that's interesting because in the U.S., um, I don't think there was a wait around <laughs> or wait and see how the industry would, would react. Um, the Trace Act uh, gave the FCC the ability to establish that official group, which is run under the U.S. Telecom uh, group. And I, I would say it's doing quite well, but with the robocall mitigation plan, it was highly, 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 highly encouraged, I guess I could say, uh, for the TSPs or service providers to participate in the traceback. So it's kind of one of those we're asking yeah. you, but we're kind of telling so, you. So, so there wasn't if, much choice. <laughs> so if you're a U.S. carrier and your mitigation plan includes tracing these internet, these calls from Canada that are considered nuisance and, and problematic, um, they'll, they'll probably just more or less dead end in their, uh, in, in their efforts because uh, there, there really isn't a, uh, a functioning mechanism right now for for call traceback, there's a handful of carriers that are are, uh, are doing it, but uh, you know participation is not mandatory. And are you the, aware, Ed, of any participation? So that's a good point. Yeah, I hadn't well, thought about. Consult, so. which is the company I work I work for, uh, actually chaired the group that did the, for, the did a trial of um, of call traceback with a number of participating carriers. And that working group was uh, produced the report that the commission just uh, considered in their in their recent report. So so yeah, it, uh, trials were done, um, nuisance calls were were put into the system, complaints were put in, and uh, carriers attempted traceback. And then as soon as you hit a carrier that wasn't part of the group, it stopped. End of story. So and then there's there's one other uh, challenge. Uh, with with this, uh, you know, imposing the rule on on international gateway providers, and that is in, in Canada, we don't really have a concept of an international gateway. It's not as not a well defined concept. Um, as a provider of wholesale voice termination services, uh, your traffic could be from anywhere, including an international carrier like China Mobile with a Canadian point of interconnection, or a recent pop up local VoIP service provider. They're all just wholesale customers. And uh, so these these companies aggregate traffic from many sources and and then uh, uh, push it out through a cross-border bilateral agreement to to U.S. carriers. Canadian carriers generally don't classify their customers, uh, their wholesale customers, as originating traffic from inside or outside of Canada. So they may or may not be able to tell from the calling line ID whether it is internationally originated call. But if the calling line ID is spoofed, they, they have no idea if, if the call actually came internationally from outside of Canada. Uh, so, so that's a, a problem and, and there, there are no rules that are going to force carriers to, to segregate and identify traffic that originates from international sources. So not likely to be, uh, you know, defining international gateways and imposing obligations on international gateways is, is going to be a bit of a problem. So I think the best that we can see is that for implementation of Star Shaken by an international gateway provider, they will sign their calls with C. I mean, I don't know what more they can do at that point when it comes to signing. And I guess that's their way of saying we've implemented Star Shaken. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So, but I don't know if it's achieving what we all are thinking we're supposed to be achieving. So, so, so if the traffic's arriving on a big cross-border pipe, then yes, you can say, oh yes, it's coming from an international source and maybe apply some action. But what happens if the traffic's coming via the internet and is bounced all around the place before you, you as the termination voice termination service provider get that call? Yeah. Anyway. This is why I feel like I've said the same time frame for the last four years is that stir shaking is three to five years out <laughs> it's the same answer every time we go further and further into the rabbit hole we just discover more and more challenges uh, around this and i'm not saying we should stop efforts but you know this is it becomes very clear why this is such an incredible channel for fraud um you it's so easy to hide so easy to hide so um, quite interesting but speaking of of hiding, uh, one of the strategies that gets talked about and, and implemented, I know it's a it's a very hot topic uh, in the U.S. Uh, in fact, you know, the FCC is visiting again, uh, the concept of know your customer. So we've talked a lot about what it means in the U.S. for the know your customer. And I would say I think we're doing fairly well. Uh, with the solutions that are coming about for the industry to choose the policies, the procedures. We've seen FTC enforcement around what the expectations are. We have subject matter experts now. So this is becoming, you know, something more of a, okay, just get around to putting it into your process as opposed to exploring the concept. I think we're beyond that phase. So I do want to kind of go into, you know, how we're addressing cross-border know your customer challenges. Um, what are your thoughts in that area and, and how does Canada view the concept of the know your customer? So first off, in, in Canada, there are, there are only a, few, only a few rules around know your customer. Uh, and they've only recently been put in place for cell phones. They've been some requirements placed on the mobile carriers, mostly to mitigate a wave of identity and password theft. Uh, people were, were going into the cellular stores and obtaining a new SIM for someone else's phone uh, and then able to hijack the text messages and then asking for a new password and it gets uh, the, the reset and the, and the second factor authentication gets transmitted to the new phone and and people get hacked. So, so our commission um, basically strong-armed the uh, wireless carriers to, to collect a little bit more information about their customers so that when there was a SIM replacement request, they knew who they were dealing with and, and giving the SIM to to their actual customer. But the commission really hasn't dealt with the issue formally um, for things like prepaid cell phones that you buy out of a vending machine. You you go on the carrier website and you can give them whatever, or you buy it at a grocery store and you go on a website and you give them your name and you can put any name you want. When I was at a wireless carrier, we had lots of customers named Mickey Mouse in our prepaid uh, services and they all seem to live on Main Street. And, and then when you have prepaid calling cards as well, I mean, there's there's just simply no know your customer requirements there. The, the customer may be incented to, again, log in and register their card and provide a name, but it's all customer provided identification with no no third party uh, verification. I, I do know, though, on that point, because uh, I've been tracking it, is that Canada, I would say, is kind of further along advanced on the uh, identity of individuals, not but businesses, when we talk about know your customer, the sort of shaken concept. But um, 
I think there is some positive activity and movement uh, in Canada to address at least that identity problem, which you which you brought up about, you know, how can you trust the information that's being provided? Who's going to vet it and verify it? It's really no different than what we face with enterprises when we're talking about know your customer on Stir Shaken. So, you know, taking this down into the Stir Shaken application, uh, what are your thoughts in that area? In Canada, we're going to follow the, the, the same industry rules for, for when you give an A, when you give a B, and when you give a C. So the expectation if you're going to give an A-level attestation is that you know the customer. You know, what, what that really means is open to debate, but at least there's an attestation that the carrier claims to know know the customer. You know, once the A-level attestation is generated for, for the call in Canada, and if it's going southbound, uh, in Canada, we're, we're pinning our hopes for cross-border stir-shaken on a bilateral agreement between the two countries uh, using the ADIS Technical Report 10,087 uh, as the baseline. That's the mechanism for initial cross-border shaken. And under this model, the two countries would agree to rec- recognize each other's uh, certificate authorities and instruct their, their respective policy authorities to merge their trusted CA lists. Uh, the merged trusted CA list w- would then be distributed to all service providers in both countries using existing um, distribution mechanisms for, for recognizing certificate authorities. That would mean that calls authenticated in one country would then uh, successfully verify in the other country. However, it's not that simple. Uh, we're, we're pinning our hopes on that happening, but it's not going to happen anytime soon. First, the governance authorities would need to agree and instruct the PAs accordingly. So the governance authorities would, would have to agree to trust, you know, in one country would have to agree to trust the governing authorities in, in another country. And, uh, and the rules would have to be somewhat similar in both countries before you could establish that, that mutual trust. And then there would also need to be a way to uniquely identify which policy authority has approved a specific certificate and a, and a specific certificate authority uh, in, the, in the shaken ecosystem. And, and that might have some implications for naming requirements um, in, in the certificate policies. So that there, there may well be, and we're hoping there is this bilateral mechanism, but it's going to be a while, you know, a couple of years out, I would imagine. Sounds like we're building a UN for uh, cross-border communications a little bit. Um, setting agreements, coming to the table, discussing how we can allow for flow of traffic. Um, it's going to be interesting how this progresses for sure, but I, I think it's necessary um, in order for us to maintain trust. And um, there are some kind of rules the, to be followed, and that is tied up into the standards, but also how the PA and the GA and the CAs are established too is where we could either build trust or break down trust um, across countries. So this is definitely a topic and we're going to have to, I think we're going to have to bring you back, Ed, as a regular to give us an update as we progress through those steps. So I want to bring it down to uh, call centers, BPOs that operate in Canada, um, and they originate their calls in Canada, but they terminate in the U.S. This is uh, numerical has quite a few customers, 
um, that are in this scenario and in my prior life when I was focused on privacy, security, and regulatory compliance for communications. Um, this was always a challenge uh, to work with BPOs in Canada because um, of the privacy issues, whatever it may be. So no doubt there are probably challenges with the world of analytics and the status of where the U.S. is with stir shaken when it comes to BPOs or call centers delivering calls into the U.S. There are challenges right now. It's not a, oh, in three to five years. There are some challenges that they face at this moment from your perspective, from where you sit. Can you shed some light on those challenges and maybe some ways to get around them? Many call centers by law have to have to change the calling line ID to produce a number where the customer can, can call them back. So in Canada by law, call centers have to, you know, may have to spoof legitimately and it may in fact be a US number. And many Canadian call centers serve as backups or overflow call centers for US call centers. So it's quite likely you will have uh, an outbound contact center uh, displaying a U.S. calling line ID for, for calls originating in Canada. So it's, it's definitely not a theoretical issue. And, uh, and distinguishing that traffic from, from the nuisance traffic that is, you know, finding its way into these big pipes carrying millions of minutes each, each month and trying to filter out the bad ones is, is, is going to be a problem. Uh, however, if you take drastic measures and say this call is coming from outside of the U.S. and it's got a U.S. number, so do something, you know, tag it, do something uh, to mitigate, uh, you're going to be hitting a lot of legitimate uh, BPO traffic uh, and that's going to be a problem. So getting some way for, uh, for Stir Shaken to, to say, look, this customer is entitled to use this number and conveying that information and that the number isn't spoofed is, is going to be important. Otherwise, the analytics engines are, are going to start flagging the Canadian call centers terminating traffic to the U.S. Uh, as if it's nuisance traffic. So even on the, the reputation US. side, um, we do uh, provide services to, it's interesting, BPOs in Canada that are hired by U.S. Uh, enterprises. So when Numerical performs our KYC, you know, we're doing a KYC on the BPO and then we work away right back to the U.S. Uh, with um, an enterprise that's established in, here in the U.S. So naturally, that particular enterprise uh, has kind of got it beaten to them to ask questions about green check mark. Are my calls going to get signed with an A-level attestation? And so we have these complex relationships. It's not as though the enterprise is working direct with the carrier. Oftentimes they don't even know who is honestly originating their calls and signing their calls. They know who they've maybe hired to manage the omni-channel experience for their customers, but they don't have that relationship with the carrier. So all they're saying is, hey, make sure my calls are signed with A-level attestation. Why is that such a challenge to ask right now uh, with regard to a US-based customer who's leveraging the call center in Canada to have their call signed with A-level attestation? Well, it's, it's a challenge because the phone number that they're going to use in the calling line ID was probably not issued by the carrier they're using to send that call, call southbound, right? So, so they need to convince the carrier to, to whitelist that number. And, so, and the carrier has to be willing to maintain a whitelist as well. And, uh, and that's going to be a problem. And then the problem is further complicated in that 
outbound call centers may in fact use more than one carrier for their outbound traffic. Uh, and if they have multiple sites in multiple jurisdictions, they might have uh, they might be using the incumbent carrier, a different incumbent carrier in a, in, e in each province where they operate. So, so it's you also got to convince multiple carriers to to whitelist your um, your, your the calling line ID you're you're planning to use. So yeah, it's it's a it's a huge huge set of problems uh, that uh, that they're going to face, and I, I think as the U.S. gets ahead of Canada in terms of rule implementation and cracking down on nuisance calls, I think it's going to hurt the Canadian call center business. It's going to be a bit of a barrier for these call centers. And here we go again. The problem comes down to identity. <laughs> it's always an identity problem. Um, and I'm very strong opinionated about having identities, whether for a consumer as myself or for businesses. So I definitely think this is an area we'll just continue to watch as ultimately the identity problem, the identity challenge, um, creates more and more hurdles to be able to conduct business and communicate. Um, so Ed, I really appreciate your time here and I'm for the sake of the audience. I'm going to attempt to summarize everything we've covered uh, on our cross-border challenges specific to Canada over the last two episodes that we've um, had the pleasure of your infinite wisdom on this topic. But I think we can bring it down to six. Usually we do three, uh, but since we did two parts, we're going to allow you to have six. So I'm going to cover the kind of the six hot topics and add, add where you need to add. Uh, but the first one that we got from our uh, kickoff was that Canada is starting light and they are starting late. Uh, so I think it's still a wait and watch, stay informed, stay aware, uh, but there is no rush for enterprises or carriers to take right now. Uh, the other key point is, and because we get this asked all the time, Canada has no formal robocall mitigation requirement. So that is still focused on the US. Canada does not have it, but that doesn't mean that Canada is not watching to see if there's something that they should do. Point three, intercarrier call traceback assistance is still in its infancy. It is not a mandate like it is in the US. It is just voluntary participation. Uh, Ed is obviously a subject matter on that with ComSol being the one who facilitated the development of the report, but it is absolutely still in its infancy. If you are a carrier listening and you are in Canada, I would recommend that you participate. Uh, point four, Canada will be deploying a phased implementation, initially no TDM implementation, and VoIP players won't be ready November 30th because the rules won't be settled in time for a launch. Don't think that's too indifferent than the US. Um, so uh, that goes back to point one, starting late, starting light, because we just have to, it's a lot more to learn. Point so five. I'll just, oh, I'll just add, add that the, the VoIP players in Canada aren't even allowed to get a stir shaken certificate at that point. Well, there you point. go. <laughs> if they, even if they change. wanted to. <laughs> right. Think it'll change. But yeah, you're right. So there's that light, that light kind of touch. Um, and I think it's good to learn what you don't know. That's, that's part of this kind of light deployment. Point five, wholesale customers, resellers are probably at the biggest disadvantage because they're less likely to be trusted by their carrier providers and there is no mandate for a delegated certificate service offering to wholesale customers. I'm gonna to add to that as well is that um, this becomes an enterprise challenge 
uh, for businesses who are leveraging these uh, resellers and the wholesale customers. So um, I think a voice will probably be developed around that to bring attention to it. And the last but not least, uh, there is probably not going to be a lot happening on November 30th when it comes to cross-border delivery. Um, there's not going to be a solution in place by that time. So it will be interesting based on those points that you have from the US perspective, I'm gonna add a seventh one. And that is with regards to the FCC's requirement that if a carrier is not in the robocall mitigation database, the US carriers are supposed to block their traffic. What that means, I still don't know. We are absolutely going to do a follow-up on the Tuesday talk when we get some evidence around how that's actually being managed, enforced, and implemented. Uh, so at this point, Ed, I really want to thank you for participating with us on two Tuesday talks, and I believe we have some questions from the audience. So Molly. Yes, hello. We do have a question for you, Ed. So this question is, how do you think the CRTC will put structure around monitoring the stir shake in progress or enforcing the deadline? Well, the CRTC has established sem semi-annual reporting requirements that the TS, uh, TSPs um, must comply with in order to inform our, our regulator uh, as to their progress uh, towards implementing stir shaken. The last report filed by telecommunication service providers uh, was due August 31st uh, of this year. And, and for the most part, these reports indicate little actual implementation except for the large uh, incumbent carrier. So, so most of those players that did file reports simply, um, simply said they're doing lab testing or they're in the process of trying to get a, a certificate, uh, but didn't, weren't reporting any material amounts of um, uh, of SIP-based traffic with, uh, with stir-shaken passports at all. Um, so further reports uh, to our regulator are required every six months with the first report uh, for, uh, for the 31st of May, 2022. So that'll be the first chance, I think, that our regulator and, and, first, and the first chance for, for the public in general uh, to see what kind of progress uh, we've made towards uh, implementing uh, stir shake and um, how much SIP, tra SIP traffic is actually being signed uh, as a percentage of total calls and what kind of attestation levels are, are being provided because in these reports you have to provide those, uh, those breakdowns as well. So I, I think we're now just going to have to sit and, uh, and wait uh, seven more months before we have another data point to see, uh, to see where we're at. Well, I hope it's not seven months before we have you back as a guest, Ed. <laughs> so we'd like to thank all of you for joining us for another episode of Tuesday Talks. We hope to see you again on Tuesday, October 19th, as we continue our multi-part discussion on cross-border call delivery and stir shaking. Thank you.